Hi, I'm Cam, and this is the Nerdbook Review. Today, you are going to be getting a review of Blackwing with myself and Casey. Blackwing is the debut novel by Ed McDonald. It was published this last year by Ace Books. It's 360 paperback pages long and is the first book in the Raven's Mark series. Coming up next week, we will have another author interview, James Jakin. And the week after that will be Plague of Giants by Kevin Hearn. Before we get into the review itself, as per usual, you can reach us at nerdbookreview at gmail.com, on Facebook with the page Nerdbook Review, and on Twitter at Nerdbook Review. Here, hopefully in the next couple of months, we'll be getting a blog up and going as well. And once that actually happens, I will make sure to get all that information out as well. And last but not least, if you would be so kind as to leave us a review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to us, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the book review. Hello, everybody. Tonight, I have Casey with us, and we are going to talk about Blackwing by Ed McDonald. Casey, how you doing tonight? Oh, I'm doing all right, Kim. Uh, I guess thanks for having me over and whatnot. <laughs> you know, don't don't sound too excited about it. <laughs> yes, I I don't emote well. It's true. It's true. Not my so, fault. Um, if this is your first episode, Casey and I have unfortunately been friends since we were uh, children. Then we went to college together, and our fraternity brothers then lived together for several years after college, and now our podcast co-hosts at times yep that sounds right yep yep it is correct it is correct so the book that we are going to be reading tonight or <laughs> the book that we are going no, to let's, be let's do a whole podcast where we read the book That'd chapter, be great. chapter by chapter mm-hmm. line by line verse by verse what? yes um we are going to be talking about Blackwing by ed mcdonald tonight I will give you the book stats, then we'll have Casey read the blurb. Um, it is the first book in the Raven's Mark series, as well as the debut novel for Ed McDonald. A fun little tidbit about McDonald. He is a university lecturer in London and a medieval weapons expert. So he is one of those rare people who can kill you with the swords that he describes. What does he lecture on? I think it's. Uh, I think that's what he dis- actually does. Is like medieval history. I couldn't actually find the specifics, uh, like on his site, but that's what he's got. Lots of YouTube videos showing him, like how to properly use the swords that that he uh, describes. Yeah, I mean, I always wonder. Like, are these guys super nerds? Are they cool for knowing medieval weapons? Like, are they just preparing for? you know, post-apocalyptic America, like, or London, as it were? You know, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't know the answer to that. But, I mean, I guess if, if you know, medieval history is your thing, then it's kind of a cool thing to, you know, to, to know. Okay, so jury's out. Got it. Casey, would you be so kind as to read the book blurb? I'd love to. Under a cracked and wailing sky, the misery is a vast and blighted expanse, created when the engine, the most powerful weapon in the world, was unleashed against the immortal Deep Kings. Across the wasteland, teeming with corrupted magic and malevolent race, the Deep Kings and their armies are still watching and still waiting. 
Um, so I'm going to give this caveat here at the beginning that the way I think of names and the way I pronounce them in my head is usually wrong. Like if I, if I actually sit down and figure out how I'm supposed to say it. So if I'm saying a character's name and you don't know what I'm talking about, that's probably what's going on. <laughs> okay. Reihold Galharo. Sounds like how I pronounced it. I guess. Is no stranger to the misery. The bounty hunter journeys to a remote outpost armed for killing both men and monsters and searching for a mysterious noblewoman. He finds himself in the middle of a shocking attack by the Deep Kings, one that should not be possible. Only a fearsome show of power from the very woman he is seeking saves him. Once, long ago, he knew the woman well, and together they stumble into a web of conspiracy that threatens to unmake everything they hold dear. And in the fragile peace the engine has provided, Ryholt is not ready for the truth about the blood he spilled and the gods he's supposed to serve. So um, my quick take is a misery, a place where the very air will change you and where there are waking nightmares is the only thing that stands between the Republic and destruction by an ancient group of sorcerers who have immense power. Except, I believe they're called wizards. The Deep Kings? Are they wizards? Yeah. I don't even know. I mean, the Deep Kings aren't super well-defined. I mean, were they human once? I mean, I don't even know if that's... I don't think so. Um... They are mortal. Um, they're nearly immortal, but they can be killed, as at some point in the book you, you see. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so I just didn't know if they were even human at any point. Yeah, I, I got the sense that they weren't, okay. but I, I don't think it actually specifies that. Okay. All right. So uh, getting into our, the thoughts on the book and a little bit of description about it. Um, it would be called Grimdark Flintlock Fantasy. There are flintlock guns, but as flintlocks are unreliable and uh, cumbersome, it's going to be mostly swords and sorcery. The do we call them wizards then, not sorcerers? Then throughout the book, am I just am I the Deep Kings? No, the uh, like the spinners and the I would just call them spinners. Okay, so the magic users are spinners. There are some who can only basically spin the magic so that they'll turn it into power and store it in batteries. And then there are some who use the magic. like It's kind of like an energy magic. And they can also spin, but they can use it as well. And what they're spinning is um, from, I think it's any natural source of light. So like they can spin from the moon, they can spin from the sun. And... The way it sounded to me, it's almost like they're sitting at a loom and they're grabbing like different strands exactly, and they're weaving like them. they're sitting at a loom. Yeah, and, th- and then they weave them together and they create uh, fos, which is mm-hmm. the, what, the, the magic power, I guess is what it is, what Cameron was talking about, about you can store it in batteries. Yeah, but some of them can only spin it but not actually use it. And... Those spinners are basically treated like indentured servants who they're used up until they go crazy. Well, yeah, they are. I mean, they're, they work in a factory. They do that all day until they go mad or what was the other thing? It's like it describes either 
go mad or it like breaks their back or something pretty horrific. Yeah, it's not a good life. Like you're you do not want to be found to just be a spinner and not the uh the actual like people who can use the magic as well. Um the reason that they're used like this is that in the war against the Deep Kings, the Nameless, who we have a little bit of interaction with throughout the book, but mostly uh, that Rihalt Galharrow, who Casey described in the blurb, he is the he's called the captain, and he is one of the basically the captains or lieutenants is the way I would have thought of him uh, for the Nameless Crowfoot. Well, for one of the Nameless, one of the Nameless, yeah, Crowfoot. Right, and uh, so the Crowfoot and the other Nameless created this thing called the Misery, and they also created something called the Engine. So between the two of them, they are holding the Deep Kings at bay from taking over the Republic. And so the Misery, we'll talk a lot. We'll talk definitely more in depth about the Misery here in a minute. But I want to talk about the Engine as well. And so the Engine is. Null's engine. Null's engine, yes. He was one of the nameless. And the engine uses up a huge amount of energy. It's basically like a big death ray that yeah, has... There's, there, uh, you don't find this out until later, kind of with the architecture of of this weapon. But basically, it's there's a, they're in like a huge dome structure and the whole ceiling and... Basically, it sounds like the whole room is just covered in batteries to store all that foes. Yeah, so we might not find that, that specific thing out, but we know that the spinners are creating energy to power that weapon, though, from pretty early on. There's a bunch of stations that are set up, and then we have the where most of the story actually takes place is the, te- the city of Valengrad. So the city of Valengrad is where most of the story takes place, and that's where the engine actually sits. Oh, and I think the whole—is it the whole place though? That's Dortmund or Dortel, Dortmore, or Dort something? something. That's the whole Republic. Yeah, I got you. And so, um, let's get into kind of the the big thing that um, the McDonald created. It's called the Misery, and what happened is that the Nameless unleash the Misery upon the Deep Kings. They actually end up wiping out two of their own cities while they're making it. And it's basically like a malevolent, magical place where things move around. You can't... Uh, there's only a few points that are fixed. So you have to have someone who can be a navigator who knows how to fix like those points with the moons and the stars in order to, to traverse it. Yeah. Um, I pretty much had something similar down um i i did state that the misery is a primary character in the novel oh yeah um and kind of rehashing what cam said a land once inhabiting parts of two kingdom it has become a twisted blighted land as a result of a powerful weapon used to protect them so the yeah the misery is it's a character for sure and the misery is um, I mean, like, even the very air is different. I kind of just imagined it as being, like, a red Mars moonscape type thing. Um, I don't know as, if that's actually how it's described. It's been a few weeks now, but... Um, no, not really. I I don't think it, well, it's as 
bleak is that? Like, I think there are actual, you know, features. There's trees, there's streams, there's uh, a crater in there that plays a role in the book. And that's one of the fixed positions Cameron was talking about. Otherwise, you can ride into the misery from uh, any compass point, And then as you ride out and you think you're heading out the same way you came in, you're heading in a completely different direction. So it's it's uh it's difficult to to keep one's bearings in the misery. Yep. And within the misery are a group of or are several different monsters basically. Yeah. And they were created from the misery. The um I the characters all say that they believe that they were created from the inhabitants of those cities that got uh, destroyed when the misery came. Um, there are some pretty powerful ones. The darlings, they look like children, like blonde-haired, uh, cute little kids. They're completely evil, and they use like mind magic. They they basically can cause your brain to fry itself. Yeah, I think what they called it was mind worms. Oh yeah, mind worms. You're right. And so. Um, basically they can sort of into your mind. I, I don't think they were actually worms. It was, it was, uh, more of like a, an ability they had. They could enter your mind, uh, and kind of break your body, uh, shut you down completely and, and, and control you as well. Yeah. And they're extremely difficult to kill. And, um, I didn't realize he'd written all these down too. I forgot about the brides. Oh yeah. The, <laughs> But you forgot squeams. Yeah, but are they, but as you said, what what were the squeams? I don't I don't remember those squeams. No, so I mean, McDonald also has uh, a monster called a squeam in the misery, and uh, when characters are in the misery, they're often scared. And one of the ones they keep mentioning is a squeam, but I don't think it it's it ever makes a a showing in the book at all. Just the no. mention of it. And there's a lot of things that, that only like there's only one of in the misery that you'll come across. Um, but one of the ones I like, and you actually see this one outside of the misery, is the brides. So they come from the misery. They start off as extremely attractive women. And then they start seducing men. And the more men that they seduce, they become like huge, like hive-like queens. The more men they have... The, and the longer they've been established, like they basically can't even move anymore. Well, for some men, maybe they're still really attractive. Yeah, well, they still have the ability to, once you're seduced. No, I mean, you said they started <laughs> off as really attractive. <laughs> I was a little just a little bit slow on catching on to what you're saying there. But yeah, so, I mean, they uh, they get men to do their bidding and uh, kind of try to, to get them to sell out the Republic. Uh, there's also... Gillings, um, whose bite is anesthetic, um, so they could once like if somebody's asleep and it does happen to somebody in the book, uh, he, he doesn't wake up because he's been eating. They I think they ate like all of his legs. Yeah, up, up to a certain point, and it, they never wake up because they can't feel it. Yeah, and they only have six phrases that they're able to say. And it's, I mean, I can't remember, I, I would have to look up like a specific phrase. 68, 67 is one of them. Yeah. And so they just say these six phrases over and over again. Well, they say five of the six most of the time. 
um, I, or four of the six. There's two, one that that one person had heard that the other one hadn't, and another one that the other one had had heard. Yeah, I, I got the feeling that, um, in whatever form they they were first, uh, they were these were the last things that people heard, and then as they mutated and changed uh, as a result of the misery, um, for some reason those those things stayed with them, and I I think they uh, became the only real language that they had between each yeah. other, and you know maybe the, with different intonations they, they meant different things. Yeah, it wasn't very clear on that. But yeah, and they're like little pot-bellied, like red-skinned, yellow-eyed-looking, kind of vaguely people-looking things. I kind of imagined actually, like the uh, you remember uh, Monsters University. Never saw it. Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. But one of the guys, Mike, he's like just this little like thing with a big eyeball with like two fingers or toes. Anyways, that's kind of what I imagined a little bit. Um, As we said, um, the misery is basically like its own character, but there is only one point of view in the story, and it is the captain, as we've... Bryholt. He's mostly just called the captain, and he serves Crowfoot, who's one of the nameless. He's not going to be like your he- your traditional hero, I mean, he's not afraid to run when the odds are in his uh, are are totally against him. Yeah, that's true. He also um, sticks around though uh, for the people he cares about. Yeah. Well, and I actually, I kind of felt like that's one thing that is a little bit of a contradiction, where they always talk about how, or like McDonald talks constantly about how he's willing to, he's not going to fight against all odds, but then he actually kind of does. For you know when he's when it's someone he cares about, right? Um, that was to me one of the more interesting points is in a lot of books where there's like this big heroic strong guy that could just slay a bunch of people. Uh, they kind of do that. They they go to work and the book doesn't really really describe sort of their internal life or conflict about that. Uh, but in this book, he is constantly flopping between, or I should say oscillating between different ideas. He'll, in in his head, he'll think like, there's, you know, no way in hell I'm going to do this. But then when he speaks, he's like, yeah, I'm game. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and as we said, like, Elizabeth was, who's going to be a powerful battle spinner. She was someone that, we can't give out too many details without being completely spoilery, but he he was involved with her as a uh, basically when they were both young in their early twenties or late teens. They had uh, like a summer together. Yep. Um, there's also the Drudge, which make up the majority of the sort of evil empire here, um, and they were formerly human. Um, it sounds like they can be changed while they're alive. So yeah, it did sound to me like that. Yeah, um, and they're they're not elite, so I mean they can be killed pretty easily uh, by you know by Ryholt or Nen or some of these other guys we haven't mentioned yet. So yeah, so the so the Drudge though, um, for the most part, yeah, there there there's certainly various levels of Drudge, like some of them who are. Like they were talking about, how look, they're ancient. Their armor and weapons are, you know, old and rusty. It's almost like they, they basically just once they're turned, whatever they were when they turned, that's what they still are. Yeah. Um. 
I kind of pictured from the Lord of the Rings movies, uh, the guys with the, the white hands like stamped on their faces and stuff. <laughs> okay, maybe. Yeah, I didn't. I thought of them for some reason more zombie-like, um, but or like I don't know. I kind of I don't know why I just didn't fee- see the orcs as much. I saw more of like a a feat. I don't know. In my mind, I imagined them more featureless, like square. I don't know. Oh, mine was a mix between those orcs and a kobold. I have no <laughs> idea why. <laughs> hey, everyone has their own uh, their own idea for but, why. Uh, when they are changed uh, from humans into drudge, uh, they do go through physical uh, changes as well. So, I mean, they don't run around looking like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, no one's no drudge or uh, secretly getting in and infiltrating the the human population. Not so much. Okay, so now that we have described the the world that McDonald's created, let's go ahead and talk about the actual storyline a little bit. Then, Casey, you want to do that? Sure. Uh, the story kicks off with Ryholt, uh, a character named Nen, who is. Um, who doesn't have a nose. Uh, sometimes she wears a fake wood nose, I think it said. Yeah. And um, she's nasty. She's a, a, like a really great fighter. She's quick, a lot of agility. And uh, she's, she and Ryholt are of a very similar mind. He calls her his sister at one point. And they're also with Tenota, a uh, sex-addicted navigator. Um. And he's he's really instrumental in them going into the misery and then being able to make it back out because uh, it takes a very skilled navigator to to line up the moons and the stars and everything because as we mentioned uh, the misery can be very disorienting and they also had some cell swords with them and so Ryholt was out doing with these people the way he's making money is he's basically being a bounty hunter. So he gets bounties from people and if they're in the misery, he hires some people, takes some of his trusted allies and they go out there and find them and bring them back or kill them. Yep. And then very early on, he ends up running into Elizabeth out at one of these stations and they are attacked. And this kind of where we get into the main storyline then where, Esbeth thinks that something is wrong with the defenses, and then we end up going on a big, long journey because of that. Yeah. Um, Cameron mentioned that uh, Ryholt is under the thumb of uh, Crowfoot, and Ryholt has a, a tattoo of a big crow on his arm, I kept thinking it was forearm, but was it top of the arm? No, I thought forearm. Okay. I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know either. Anyway, and so when Crowfoot needs to tell him something, um, especially regarding Esbeth. Oh, yeah, this is awful. He, uh, he, the tattoo comes alive and like tears itself as a full crow. Out of his arm. Out of his arm. And, uh. We'll talk to him. He stays in the form of a crow and talks to him that way. Yeah, it's it's pretty awful. I mean, he he makes he always has to have a tourniquet like to cut the blood flow off so that he doesn't have lose too much blood. 
Yeah, and like in Lies of Locke Lamora, uh, he's not as big of a puss <laughs> as Locke Lamora. Uh, he's a little bigger, stronger, tougher, but uh, he is constantly in some sort of pain, or he's he's cut, and or you know his arm's still healing from the crow ripping itself free. Wait, no, he is just beat up. Yeah, he's, it talks about too that he's like six six basically, mm-hmm. and I mean just a big brawler. Do you have anything more you want to talk about with the actual story? I don't think uh, about the actual storyline that's going to carry you through the novel. I don't really have anything else to say. I think uh, once we start down that path, it's just spoilers all the way. Yeah, um, and honestly, to me, that wasn't really the most interesting part of the book. Yeah. Okay. Well, tell me what was the most interesting part of the book. Okay. So I had a few thoughts uh, about some of the other parts of the book. Um, Just to kind of give you a feel for the book, I guess. Uh, The government is an oligarchy. It is uh, ruled by the nobility, but more specifically, there's... Again, who knows how to pronounce it, but there's Prince Hirono and she, which kept throwing me off because it is a she, but they call her Prince. Um, She's extremely powerful and influential. And I mean, it's a a stratified society, definitely. Um, Ryholt is is down a few rungs because well, quite a few wrongs, I, I guess, on that ladder because he's he's a mercenary. He's a captain of a a company of mercenaries called the Blackwing, which we hadn't mentioned. I also got the feeling pretty early on in the book, not that Ryholt was an unreliable narrator, but I felt like every character was lying a lot. So, I mean, Ryholt, a lot of times kind of lied to himself with with all that uh the thinking and that inner life that we talked about he he knew he messed up and later on in the book i think he comes to realize where he where he really went off track um prince rono lies to everybody uh Elizabeth would be more lies of omission yeah like she knows a lot but she she doesn't spill the beans until much later and really the truth tellers in this novel were some of his companions uh nen who would just say it like like it is i mean she could be crude and blunt but she wasn't trying to tell a story and tenota um he was a he was a gay navigator. I mean, what can I say? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he basically just—I uh, mean, one of his favorite stories, one of his favorite things to do is, as he says, is to turn people who are uh, who who might be gay, and just—I mean, he just wants to sleep with dudes. Yeah, and there's all like if they're ever at an inn or whatever, there's some like young guy that comes walking out, and Tenota just kind of dismisses him and in the company all just kind of like look at each other and don't really know what to say but Tenota doesn't care like he'll talk about it um I don't think his company really cares 
either. It's it's no. not like a it's kind of a non-issue that he's gay. I think they just kind of get a kick out of how insouciant he seems to be about it all. Yeah, and I mean he he's a yeah his his being gay isn't like the the biggest the focus about it. It's how good of a navigator he is. Yeah, definitely. That's just the what that's just what fleshes him out. Yeah, in the story. And then one of the characters that Ryholt really respects is uh, his uh, nickname is the Iron Goat, and he Vinzer, 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 and uh, he's the marshal, so he is kind of the Lord Protector of their whole land, and. Uh, Later on, we find out that he's not always so truthful, but he's always doing things in a positive fashion. Like he's trying to, if he lies, he does it not for self-profit or anything. He does it to ultimately, you know, do his job, protect people. Yeah, it's more of a lie like our government lies to us on the times when our government is lying so that we don't panic as opposed to their usual lying. <laughs> right. <laughs> But yeah, but here's my biggest thing though that like that I had an a disappointment I guess with the story though is is like you're saying though is that this book is a lot more about the plot twists and turns like they're a big part of the story and I called just about every single twist and turn from the I mean, basically, almost the beginning of the book, including the specific person or people who do things and why they do the things they did. I mean... Well, yeah, I mean, there's also not a huge cast of characters, so you don't have to pick out the important people from, you know, 200 people or something. Yeah. And... Yeah, so I don't know. I just I yeah, with what you say, like everybody's lying and they're un the narrator's unreliable. But the the lies aren't hard to to figure out though. Right. Um I guess this is a grim dark book, but from very early on, um like I think from the first time it happens and it just keeps going on this way is that uh Everybody pretty much lives. That's a main character, or even some of the ancillary characters, and everything basically turns out all right most of the time. And so I, I don't know. I found that also disappointing. Like if I'm reading Grimdark, I expect some bad things to happen to some of the characters we might like. Yeah, this is the least Grimdark Grim. Like, and you know what's so crazy to me? is all of the people in that Grimdark Facebook group I'm part of are like, oh, this is so awesome and so Grimdark. No, it is not Grimdark. I have read 20 books this year that were more Grimdark than this and didn't even call themselves Grimdark. I don't know. I was pretty baffled by that. Like I said, I was disappointed in that. And I was also really disappointed. The Misery is awesome. I mean, it is amazing. Like, he has created something so cool and then what does maybe 10% of the book, 15% at the, I mean, it can't be more than 20% of the book takes place in the misery. 
most of it takes place outside of it in Valengrad. I, I think probably maybe 5% takes place in the Missouri. Okay, when you were doing your shaking your head, I was like, what am I, am I too low there with this 15? Yeah, but here's the thing. I want to say this. I listened to interviews that Ed McDonald did and at one book review, and he all he talked about in those was the Misery. And he yeah, t- I listened to an interview on Grim Tidings that you turned yeah. me on to. Yeah. And he pl- he sh- pl- throws this book as just being super grimdark and being in, you know, like it made it sound like most of the book took place in the misery. And it sounded amazing. And the misery was amazing. His writing is he's an amazing writer. I mean, I think the misery is one of the coolest things in any of these fantasy books that could have, ha- you know, like if the most of the book had taken place in it. Like, it's a super cool concept and super cool thing. Yeah, I totally agree. That was, bar none, the best part of this book. Oh, yeah. And if it, if if a majority of the book had taken place in it, I'd be calling this one of my favorite books of the year. But Valengrad is just basically a, I mean, we're dealing with uh, early Middle Ages almost. Like, there's some things that are actually pretty industrial. But for the most part, we're dealing with, yeah, kind of like a grim industrial type city that the city he doesn't really make Valengrad come alive to me at all. No, I not for me either. Um honestly, <laughs> okay, so when I read fantasy books, I never look at the map because I, I know I'm not going to remember. And the way I think about it is if it's written well enough, I don't need to look at the map. That's just my personal issue. This book does not come with a map. Um which I found surprising. Like I kept looking all around and front and back and Cameron even texted me at one point and said, does your copy have a map? (laughs) And um, this takes place in a very limited area. There's the the misery, excuse me. Um, There's, uh, I always called it Valen Guard in my head, but whatever. And then some stations and, and stuff like that. But it didn't need a map. And that's fine, but there was nothing distinctive to me about Valengard that made me identify with it at all. So, like, I would sometimes feel lost, and I would have used a map in this book because, yeah, I felt the same way. Like, you know, in some books, it's almost like you're walking the streets and smelling the you know, the odors of food cooking or people, and you can hear a bunch of stuff, and this city just, it wasn't there for me. Well, that's what the, the thing is, is that I felt like he put every bit of his work into creating the misery, and then the book didn't take place in the misery. Yeah, I know. A little, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know what to say. That's, you know, that's true. Yeah, well, and I, the thing is, too, is I think that if I had not listened to the interview, then I wouldn't be nearly as disappointed, you know? I mean, I would, I would be, I would think like this is a good book, not a great book, but it just, this is a situation where, as I've talked about before, the book wasn't what I, it wasn't what I wanted it to be, but it wasn't what I wanted it to be because of what I heard Ed McDonald say in the, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, and everything I heard was secondhand from Cameron, so I was pretty pumped to read it too because he was so excited and said it was supposed to be so grim dark and everything and then i think we both uh finished um yeah disappointed unmet expectations yeah and i mean i think that most fantasy like i would 
I think that most fantasy fans would like this book, especially if you weren't going into it expecting it to be all about the misery. But, I mean, I can't say that even if I hadn't heard that, that I would be like, oh, this this book is... Like, I just don't understand how this book is on so many people, like how it won, how it's winning awards versus some of the other stuff I've read. And I haven't read those other books and I'm surprised this book is winning awards, to be frank. Yeah. I mean, it beat out Kings of the Wild, which I know that you weren't oh, like. I did read that one. <laughs> yeah. But for, by, for booknest.eu for, uh, you know, best debut fantasy novel of the year. And I but, liked Kings of the Wild better than this. Yeah. Oh my! I, I I mean I you know I you know really like Kings of the Wild anyway. Yeah, and I mean I loved Kings of the Wild, but I mean I read, I mean, you know the the Dragon's Legacy, which to me was the best book I read this year, and I listened to your review and went and got it from the library the next day. <laughs> oh, you it was at the library. That's awesome. Yeah, one copy at one library. Oh man, have you started reading it yet? Uh, I'm on like page two or three. Oh, okay. I just barely got it. <laughs> Anyways. So, uh, but yeah, so I think that most fantasy, fa- like if you liked like the black company or maybe like Mark Lawrence novels, you would like it, but it's not like super grimdark. No, it's, um, for me, if you're going to talk about Glenn Cook or Mark Lawrence or Brent Weeks or any of those kinds of guys, this is a light version of them um and to be fair i really really like those other books and i kind of thought this one was going to be like that and maybe that's where some of that disappointment comes from like a light light version of uh good grimdark i guess yeah so casey how would you rate it on a five-star system boy 3.0 Ooh, yeah I think I would give it. The funny thing is, is the more we've talked about it, the less like my. No, me too. Yeah, like a three point five. I so I don't regret that I like. If I hadn't heard any interviews or any reviews, I would say that I enjoyed the book, but it's it's not anything like I'm not waiting for book two. Yeah, I'm not either. And when I finished this. Um, which was only yesterday. Um, I was thinking about it and I thought, oh, I might read the next one. But like Cameron just said, the more we talk about it, kind of the more I dislike the book. Yeah, so I don't think I'll be reading uh, <clears throat> the sequel. Yeah, the funny thing is, is that most of the time when we talk about these books, I talk myself like into a higher rating. But I, I really... Too. Yeah. I mean, the, I don't know. I just... And the funny thing is, is that, like, I think I was giving it a higher rating because of how much, like, positive inf- thing, how many positive things you hear about it from people, especially, like, in the Grimdark group. And then now that I've got someone else to talk to about it who also feels the same way I do, I don't feel like I'm so much of an outlier. Like, I felt kind of like I was that guy that was like, no, this is this is I, I this book's got to be awesome. I just didn't get it. Well, maybe we are outliers because I wanted to to look a few things up before uh, work today, and I only had a small amount of time, and so I looked up reviews, and uh, I just read one, and this guy was like, all these other people Cameron's talking about. He's talking about it was the best book he's read all year. He gave it a nine point one out of ten. 
like how amazing it was. And I had the feeling like we read two different books. Yeah, me too. But like I said, I just felt like, well, for me, the biggest thing was, like I said, there was two things that one, the misery, which was what was a, what he, he created it amazingly. And then it wasn't in, didn't take place in the misery. And then the other thing was, is that a lot of it was supposed to be, um, about the intrigue. And I figured the intrigue out immediately. Like, and it wasn't very intriguing. To no, begin well, the with. thing is, is like, yeah, I don't really feel like I'm the. Katie is the person who will, like, from the very beginning, pick out things normally, and I'm not. And this one, I mean, the the main bad guy, if you will, that we find out later in the story. I mean, I figured out exactly who it was, and I called the exact reason why they were the bad guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's like, that's, I can't, if I can pick it out, the person that pays zero attention to the details and just thinks, you know, usually more big picture than, like, it clearly wasn't too difficult to, anyways, I don't know. I mean, so yeah. So, like I said, I'm probably giving it a 3.5 and Casey's a 3. Um, what, uh, just getting onto the, like, the audience of who should and shouldn't read it real quick that I always do for, like, who could um, that's another thing too. Is I was expecting to be like, oh, this is an adult novel, but you could be a teenager. Like, there isn't anything like too gruesome. I mean, there's a lot of people that die, and a lot, of, but it's not like they they die in graphic torture scenes, or there's not any sex. There's some talked about, but nothing that they wouldn't hear about on TV. And yeah, and for me, uh, I'm gonna go back to what I did last time and just say, don't read the book. Um, <laughs> just go read some somebody else. Some of the guys we mentioned, Weeks, Lawrence, Cook, uh, any of those guys, and you're going to have a much better time. Yeah, or you know who I just read the second book for? Um, just found out tonight that M.D. Presley, whose book I loved. The Woven Ring? Yeah, who, it didn't um, make it to this finals for oh. Spiffbo. I mean, the guy said it was the closest he's ever had between it and the one that did, the, the Crimson Queen by Alec Hudson. But it... Uh, the second one just came out and that one was awesome too. Like that one was more of like a grim dark where like it, it delivered in the grim dark category for me. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I just, and the or thing, the, maybe that author you're stalking, uh, Jimison. Oh yeah. Um, you oh yeah. She have, creates a, uh, when we say stalking, <laughs> I mean, I sent my very first tweet out saying, "Hey, your book is amazing," and I got blocked. So yeah, that's that's my version of stalking. Well, you know, some light stalking then. Yeah, cyber stalking. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I haven't even seen any of her tweets since then because I've been blocked. Well, my first day on Twitter. Don't be a creep. Apparently, uh, I'll tell you one thing that really made me totally nervous to to like. To say uh, to anyone else, like, hey, your book was so good. Katie's like, that's not typical. Most people don't block you for saying how good their book is. No, and I, it makes me wonder if maybe she's big enough where, like, a lot of celebrities, I think, I, I don't, I've never been on Twitter, <coughs> Twatter, whatever it's called. Uh, that was a joke. Thank you for laughing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that a lot of celebrities don't handle their own Twitter. They have like assistants or other people do it. So, well, she also apparently deals with a lot of like civil rights stuff, like with her personal stuff and gets attacked, I guess. So, maybe you're so, right. like, if you say anything, <laughs> like, yeah, she, I think her, like, the response I got back on it was like, um, 
I deal with a lot of like hate messages. If you got caught up accidentally, I'm sorry. Type of you know that was what the message I got was. Oh, anyways, I but I just have never gotten unblocked. So yeah, it's still funny I mean, to me either way. Yeah, I mean she's big enough. Clearly, she doesn't need one uh one person. But yeah, no, that she created a world though that was far more grimdark in terms of like really a broken world like that. Yeah, that's a yeah. Katie just finished the. She did read the third book. I haven't actually made it around to it yet because I've had so much stuff to do. Just read the first two, but yeah, that's a grim dark world. I haven't even read the first one yet. <clears throat> totally, even with being blocked, I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> so, good. anywho, so uh, yeah, uh, Ed McDonald, if you happen to listen to this, I'm sorry. We just didn't love it. Yeah, I'm not sorry. <laughs> okay, so uh, should we move on to? Some final thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, let's move on to our final thoughts. Casey, what are your final thoughts? <clears throat> so, uh, as I want to do, uh, usually with these books, is try to string some thoughts together about the theme of the book or what the book is trying to say or what it's actually about and that, those sorts of things. And I would say, it, surprisingly, maybe, uh, does work on a couple of levels. Um, it's a love story for one thing. It is. Yeah. And it doesn't. Oh, I think I put this. Uh, sorry, listeners, if camera doesn't cut this out, we do bring some notes. Um, I was wondering if in any grim, dark novels, are there any spouses that are alive at the same time as the protagonists of the story? In grim, dark in general? Yeah. Ooh. Because I haven't read nearly as much as Cameron, but every grimdark book I've ever read, uh, if they were married, their spouse is dead, or they were never married, or they couldn't get married because there was some obstacle. Anyway, so it is a love story. Um, You know, there's also issues dealing with uh, personal sacrifice. And the one I felt the most strongly about was, and it it is explicitly brought up in the book, is how over time we change. And, you know, as we get older, do we, do we become better? Do we become more evil? I think Rye Holt uh, judges himself to become worse over time him and isbeth and i don't know if they generalize that to people but it i think it implies it that with time we we change and we we become the person maybe we were always supposed to be it's just that we didn't realize what a terrible person that that person or that we were going to turn out to be but yeah so i i see what you're saying and and my uh my final thoughts are that a lot of people love this book, and I'm not one of them, but maybe maybe you'll love it. And I think that the biggest thing is is that I had unrealistic expectations based on, I guess, what the author told me. And so I don't know if maybe I was just... I mean, I'm glad to, to have you here, like, although maybe... To I, hate it with you? Yeah. Well, I didn't hate it. I, <laughs> I just, didn't either. Yeah, I just, you know, I was like, it's a... 
It's an average book to me. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought when I turned that last page. I was like, um, it kept me mostly entertained, and it's fine. Um, it's just that to me, there's so many damn books out there, uh, you know. And as uh, Chaucer said, uh, "The work so long, the life so short." And if you're a serious reader, or you want to be, and you want to read the best books and the stuff that really works for you, uh, for me, that means books that work on multiple levels. That there's um, deep, interesting questions. And uh, it just didn't check those boxes for me. All righty. Well, Casey, thank you for coming to talk about a book with me tonight. Always a pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Did I sound convincing? <laughs> <laughs>